0: Good morning. If you would, I'd ask you to stand with me as we read this morning's text. Continuing on in the Gospel of John, getting close to the finish line, we're reading verses 11 through 18 of chapter 20 this morning. Continuing in the account of the resurrection, we now get to hear a detailed story of Jesus and his first appearance to one of the disciples, to Mary Mary. Magdalene. If you will read along with me starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her woman I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Lord, there's such wonderful news in this short text, in this so very personal account, Lord, of your grace through your Son to your people. Lord, I pray this morning as we consider this truth, may we find hope, may we we find encouragement, Lord, in our risen Savior, our sure Redeemer. May we be convicted, Lord, of our blindness and thankful for His wonderful, gracious work of opening our eyes so that we might see our sin and that we might see our Savior so Lord work in our hearts speak this truth help us to comprehend it help us to comprehend Lord the commission that you give us even as you open our eyes to see our sin and to see you And Lord, may we joyfully step in, participate with, Lord, come beside you and your work so that many more might hear the gospel. So Lord, be with us this morning. Speak to us through your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at this text this morning, last week we covered the resurrection morning, the first instance. Mary Magdalene was prominent in that story as well. She was the first one to the tomb that she runs and gets Peter and John. We saw that they saw the evidence that Jesus must have been risen, but we saw that they did not understand what it meant. Then we saw, we looked over to Luke 24 and we saw how Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus and they too did not understand what it meant that He was risen from the grave. They didn't get that He was the Redeemer until He walked them through Scripture, showed them, even as they didn't realize it was Him, how all of Scripture pointed to Jesus as the promised Redeemer. God Himself come to save His people And then when he broke bread with them, as soon as he did that, they saw him. They understood him in a moment. They recognized. And then, of course, they ran back to Jerusalem to the disciples and told them everything that was going on. And Jesus appeared to them then. So we've got that perspective, everything that happened. But then we're going back to John's account here. And we've got to remember this is in between both what we talked about last week at the beginning and in the end. So Mary, this is a transition, as, even as we look at verse 11, Mary apparently has followed Peter and John back to the tomb, but her composure is not one of hope or joy. She is discouraged. She is fearful. She's confused. You see, I think we've got a really, really, really important message that we need to hear from this text this morning. And where it hit me the most is where I think the fact that we can't look at Mary Magdalene in this moment and say, look at her. Remember, whenever we go to the text of Scripture, our, our job is not to look to the characters, the people our brothers and sisters in Scripture, and to look at them and see what they did and magnify them. Our job, our responsibility, what we have to do when we look at Scripture is look at what God is doing. Look at what Christ is doing. How He is at work. You see, she is discouraged. She is confused. She is scared. I know if you all are like me, there have been times and where I have been so discouraged, so confused, so fearful. But when I ask, what is at the root of that fear? What is at the root of that discouragement? There's a lot of factors that go into that in a million, billions of different situations. But what's really at the root of my own problem? Of Mary's problem and of your problem, it's faithlessness. You see, when I'm discouraged, the root of it is my faithlessness because I don't believe that God is good. I don't believe that God is powerful. At the root of my discouragement is a faithlessness that says, I don't believe that God is sovereign in control of all things. I don't believe that God will forgive me. I don't believe that God will change the hearts of broken people who've hurt me just as I've hurt them. At the root of my discouragement is the idea of faithlessness that I don't believe that Jesus is seeking and desires to change my heart. And the hearts of others. At the root of. Much discouragement. Is a faithlessness that says. I don't believe that I. Need to change. That I. Am the problem. You see whatever. Is discouraging to you. And it may be. Absolutely legitimate. There are terribly difficult things that so many of you so many of those around us are going through but even as i think back to i'm reading through the the book of job right now to think through even as he suffers and he's an innocent a righteous man and he suffers tremendously what's at the root of his discouragement it is a lack of understanding a lack of belief of who god is and trusting that God will accomplish His purposes, that He will remain true to His character. You see, whatever is discouraging you, even if it's something terrifying, something tragic, something that's absolutely overwhelming, I've got wonderful news. Beautiful news. Encouraging news. That Mary needed to hear, that I needed to hear, that you so desperately need to hear. Because you see, this is not only a story of Mary Magdalene and a story of how Jesus shows us why we have nothing to fear. It's a story of how Jesus frees us from sin. It's a pressing power so that we might join him in what will be our greatest joy, which is to join him in the mission, his mission of rescuing others, of announcing this wonderful news of the work that He has done, the resurrection that He has accomplished. So I want us to see in this story Christ at work to open the eyes of a discouraged woman, a discouraged disciple. And we need to see how we need to hear this same news as well. You see, I want us to look we're walking through this; these verses here, nine verses, or eight verses, and looking at a couple different sections. And looking at the start of it, I'm just calling this the darkness. Verses 11 through 14. You see, this is probably the darkest moment of Mary's life, of the disciples' life. And if we think about what they are going through in this instance if we dwell on the fear the the disaster that they've endured the the terror of what has gone on before them it makes most of our trials seem trivial you know think of all that they have just witnessed think of Mary who Has been freed from bondage. It said that she had seven demons that Christ had cast out of her. That she was a woman who had been rescued out of bondage to sin and she had been following Christ, supporting His ministry. She's clearly a a woman of means who has the ability to support and even, as we see later in the text, the ability to provide a proper burial somewhere else if Christ had been moved. She, though, is coming and has seen her, her Savior Her Redeemer, the King, the Lord, the Rabbi, who she had been been walking with, learning from, she saw Him arrested, tried, brutally murdered. She saw Him die on that cross. As one of the clear witnesses that we see in Scripture, who stood at Calvary and watched Him suffer. She had witnessed Jesus' power. But then she had seen Him suffer and die on that cross and seemingly be powerless. He had been her hope. He was brutally murdered before her. He was dead. He was buried. And what she had done that morning on that resurrection Sunday was to go and to pay her last respects to try to provide dignity for the one who she loved and admired and had followed so closely. When she had seen the tomb open, she was absolutely terrified. So she went to Peter and John. They go and they saw in the tomb, and it appears that they didn't stop to talk to her. Maybe she had come by a different way because she comes up after them. And she's by the tomb, and we find her weeping. Weeping. Saying, How could this be? The one who was supposed to make all things right. He's gone. He's dead, and now they've desecrated his body, stolen it. It's it's not here. I can't even give my last bit of respect to him. So we find her weeping at the tomb heartbroken, discouraged, confused. And then verse 12, which is remarkable, she is so caught up in her brokenness, in her darkness, that she sees two angels, when she peers into the tomb, she sees two angels in white. They're sitting there, and it says that she saw two angels sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she responds, it's like wait a second Mary, there's two angels they're sitting where his body like something supernatural And they're saying, why are you weeping? But she is so consumed by her brokenness and she just, I mean, can you imagine walking into a tomb where you're your you know, Savior, your redeemer, your teacher had been dead. You had seen his body get placed in there. You walk in and all of a sudden there's two angels in, and your response to the angels is they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they laid him. Like, these are two angels. And you if you think, well, I mean what would her response i mean there's two angels divine revelation through god's supernatural servants they're asking her why are you weeping not wanting an answer they know why they're telling her not to but she doesn't listen to them and immediately what does she do verse 13 or verse 14 having said this she turned around and she saw jesus standing Her Savior, the the reason for all of her fear, the reason for all of her confusion, the reason for her sorrow, should have been eliminated immediately. But what happens? She turns around. Jesus is standing before her. But she did not know that it was Jesus. She casually dismisses the supernatural and the angels casually dismisses even her Savior, her Lord her Creator who stands before her because she is consumed by her brokenness consumed by her fear she didn't know that it was Jesus So we see verse 15, and this is where we're going to break this down. Jesus, being kind and gracious, says, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried Him away, tell me where you have laid Him, and I will take Him away. You see, in the midst of this, what is Mary? She's got no hope of the resurrection. She believes His body must be somewhere She has her Savior standing right there before her and and consumed in her fear, her sorrow, her own guilt. She says, please just tell me where you put it. I will take care of it. I'll use my means to honor. I'll do what I can. It's, It's almost like she is just so broken because she has not had a chance to earn the respect to to earn the redemption that Christ has already accomplished for her, the demons that He's cast out, the teaching that He's given her. But in the midst of this, she doesn't get it. She thinks Jesus is the gardener. See, John's not painting a picture of Mary to admire as some moral hero here he's painting a picture of Mary because Mary is just like us so that we might say look look at how blind we are look at how consumed we become even when the truth even when our Savior stands right before us Mary is not a picture of faith or belief in this moment. She is the picture of despair and hopelessness. She's falling apart. We should take note of this. Because this is what John is doing, an opportunity for us to examine ourselves. What happens here in verse 15 and 16 say it's kind of like the miracle of watching Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 happen right in front of our eyes. You know, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, blind to our need, consumed by the world, controlled by the fleshly desires of our heart. But God made us alive in Christ. Verses 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hold on to that thought, because here's where this text gets so good. When we go back to verse 15, we know, reading this text, We know it's Jesus that stands right there before her. Even as she's blind to it, she doesn't see it. She's consumed by her sorrow, consumed by her darkness, consumed by the things she cannot control. We know that it's Jesus standing there right before her. So we need to look at these questions. D.A. Carson pointed this out and it blew my mind to think as we look at this question. He says, ask her two things. This is the, correction, the question that is a correction, or the correction that, of a question. You see, he asked her two things, and beforehand, we may read those superficially, but knowing who Jesus is, knowing what he's about to do, we know that there's much more meaning in these two questions. See, he asks her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And the beauty of what christ does is he meets us right where we are in the midst of our brokenness in the midst and he gently asks why are you weeping now he's he's saying gently to try to find comfort and if we read that just superficially we say oh he's just being kind to her but here's the truth remember mary is in the wrong wrong She's not seeing the truth that's right there before her. So, what's Jesus really doing in this first question? He is rebuking her, albeit so gently, just as a wonderful, loving, gracious Savior he is. He's rebuking her. He says, Woman, why are you weeping? She doesn't get it because she's blind, but to see that he's standing right before her, but why are you weeping? It's foolish. Her Savior is risen, he's accomplished redemption, yet she is consumed in her darkness. She does not see. Why are you weeping? He knows the answer. It's because she doesn't know, she hasn't realized what Christ has accomplished. The second question, he says, whom are you seeking? And I love this one because this cuts to the heart. Just as we saw the disciples last week, what kind of Redeemer were they hoping for? They were hoping For a Redeemer who would rescue them from their earthly problems, give them earthly power, set them up to have authority over those who had oppressed them. They were thinking in temporal, earthly terms. So when Jesus asks her, whom are you seeking? We know the answer of who He is. We know the answer, and it's a correction. He's asking her, what kind of Messiah was she expecting? What kind of Messiah? He's asking, what did you expect for Him to be? What kind of Messiah were you expecting? One who was limited by physical life? One who was limited in this sense? Or were you expecting a Messiah who was God Himself in the flesh? What kind of Messiah... Were you expecting? You see, we know we can understand that's the rebuke that He's given her because she's so blind in the midst of this. And we can look at that with judgment in our own hearts by saying, why couldn't she see? But we must look at our own hearts. Do we see the Savior Is it evident in our lives that we know our Savior is risen, He has overcome the world, the world and Satan have no hold on Him and therefore have no hold on us? Is that evident in our lives? Or are we controlled by fear, by discouragement, by sorrow? Why are we weeping? What kind of Messiah do we think Jesus is? This isn't a Messiah that doesn't care about our brokenness. No, He's come to redeem it. This is a Messiah who has come to give us life and life abundant. But He's come to do so and He has done so by taking on the penalty of our sins. He has paid the penalty so that we might have life. But there's still a burden. We are so broken and consumed by sin, He must call us out. He must make us who were dead in our transgressions, our trespasses, we who were dead, God has made alive. And this is the beautiful Beautiful work that we see then in verse 16. We've seen Mary and her darkness. We've seen this question that's a correction. And our third point as we look at verse 16. We see that He knows His sheep. Jesus knows His sheep. And He calls His sheep. And we go back to John's Gospel and we see that this is the fulfillment of the promise. You see, God knows how broken we are. He rebukes us by Showing us our blindness, showing the foolish foolishness of our hearts and our actions, even if it requires him, we only see it after he exposes our sin and makes us aware of that, but here's the thing: he makes us see it, and it brings about a thankfulness, a gratefulness for the salvation that he's accomplished for us. You see, we read verse sixteen and Mary as she's just responded to Jesus who said, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she says, if you carried him away, I mean, the irony of her words are just, just beautiful in this sense. If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. It's still, see, her trying to make things right. The foolishness of self-effort. See, she doesn't see. She cannot see. And then what does Jesus say to her? One word, Mary. He says, Mary. It takes one word. Jesus speaking out, calling his sheep, see. It takes one word. We can take confidence in this, that Jesus speaks Mary's name, calling to her so that she might know her Savior, know her God, who stands before her, though blinded by her sin, blinded by her attempts to fix things herself, blinded by her sorrow, she does not see, and then He says to her, He calls to her, And her eyes see. What is her response? Rabboni is a term, not just rabbi, but the teacher. I see you. See, this is a picture of God calling us out of darkness into marvelous light. Without this gracious work of God, we would have no hope. We would remain in darkness. I invite you to turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 14. I don't have this on the screen because I want you to see this in your Bible. Because John and Jesus has set us up for this moment. He's predicted that this would happen. He's promised that this would happen. That Jesus knows and calls His sheep. We read in chapter 10, verse 14 through 18, these words, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus has laid down his life for his sheep, and he calls his sheep by name. I know my own, and my own know me. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. God calls His people to see Him. We see this gracious work of God. To correct Mary Magdalene in her brokenness, He calls her out of her brokenness by exposing her blindness and then making her see her need by His divine grace. What confidence can we have that God is gracious and calls us out of darkness? Even as we remain and dwell, He takes action to redeem us. You see, this doesn't end here. And this is why this is so, so important. In verse 17, we see that Mary has responded, she has seen, but He is going to correct her yet again because we need constant correction and guidance because He is a good shepherd, He provides it. Mary responding says, Rabboni, which means teacher, and she clings to Him, bows down, grabs hold of Him. She's holding on tightly because she sees her teacher. She sees Jesus and she's holding on to Him. She's been confused. She's been broken. But then what does Jesus say to her? He says, Don't cling to Me. It's like, Wait a second. Why does He say? Don't cling to Me. And we get this statement and this could be confusing because some have translated that he says for i have not yet ascended to the father as if that's the purpose for do not cling to me i don't think that's the case i think that's introducing this whole clause afterward because it makes a lot more sense he says don't cling to me don't hold so tight remember what i've come for Remember what I've promised. Remember, he said, he told the disciples, and if Mary's been following him along, especially during the last supper, the last discourse, she heard Jesus say, remember, I've got a comforter coming, but he cannot come to empower you, to help you understand until I go to the Father. So he's saying, don't cling to me. My work has been accomplished, but I've not yet gone to the Father, but I'm going to be with you always. I'm going to be with you. You don't have to hold on so tightly. You need to know what I've accomplished. And he says, for I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers. Tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. We see Jesus saying, look, go tell them the good news. I've not yet gone. I'm Going, I'm in the process preparing for my ascension to the Father. But we see him appearing because right after this, all of a sudden Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, walking with two more disciples. Then right after that, all of a sudden he appears into the room with the disciples. He's he's got a glorified body. He's not bound by this earth anymore. Death has no hold on him anymore. But what he's telling her is, look. You don't have to cling on to my physical body because now I have a glorified body. I am going to the Father. I am sending the Holy Spirit. What I've been preparing you all for all along is about to happen. Go tell my brothers. Go tell the disciples what's happened. His ascension is imminent. See, it's imminent, and it's not that Mary shouldn't be touching him. We see Jesus tell Thomas not long after, like, here, touch my wounds. He he eats a piece of fish with the disciples to prove that he's got a, a real physical body, even if it's not limited in the ways that ours are. It's not that she shouldn't be touching him. It's that she was forgetting He has conquered death. He's not going anywhere. I mean, think about this. It's, if Jesus, she saw Him brutally murdered. She saw His blood pour out. She saw Him give up His spirit and hang lifeless on the cross. His body taken down, wrapped up. And He's standing there alive. After three days, what hurry should she be in to hold on to Him? He has conquered death, the only thing that limits her life. He's conquered death. He reigns over all. She should be telling the others about this wonderful news. And what does He tell her to do? Exactly that. He says in the midst of this correction, go to my brothers. See, I think that this is the centerpiece of this whole story here. Mary's eyes have been opened by the grace of God. And he corrects her. He's saying, why are you just holding on to me? Go and tell. See, there's a radical change of identity and mindset that happens when our eyes are open and we realize that Christ has conquered death the world has no longer any hold on Him or the ones who believe in Him. Or the ones who believe in Him. He tells them in John sixteen thirty three, you will have tribulation in this world, but fear not, I have overcome the world. Jesus commands in the middle of this statement of reassurance, like, I'm going to be with you. Don't cling on to me tightly. Others need to hear. He says, go. And this might not be the great commission, but I think it's right there with it. It's a sneak peek into the commission He's going to give all of the disciples. See, Mary, having been called by her Savior, having her eyes opened by His Word, is now told To obey in light of the powerful redemption and conquering of sin that Jesus has done, to go and tell her brothers this wonderful news. Go and let them know I am risen, death has no hold on me, and this is a promise and is good news for you as well. You see, the resurrection is a promise. For all of us. But there's something we should ask ourselves. Mary, as we see in verse 18, immediately goes. Hearing the command of Christ, having her eyes opened and see, she goes and announces to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told him all the things that He had said to her. here's the question for us one are we so overwhelmed by our own brokenness that we are discouraged to the point of faithlessness that we don't trust that god is in control that god is good that god is accomplishing has accomplished our redemption and is accomplishing sanctification through our hardship that he is working as hebrews tells us to discipline us so that we might grow into a greater knowledge and faith of him Do we believe those things? Is that evident in our lives? Have our eyes been opened? And is it true if our eyes have been opened? We will want to tell the world of this wonderful news. We won't hold back and we won't be consumed by the things of this world. Because our desire will be that many would hear. And by God's grace, many would come to know this wonderful salvation that we have received. By grace. See, the resurrection means we can have joy and confidence in the face of any trial because Christ has overcome. But what has He overcome? He's overcome our sin that we contributed. He's taken on our punishment that we deserved, But He's given us new life by His work. We should be living in light of it. Not only that, but the live in light of us is to be compelled to go and tell. See, the, the resurrection demonstrates the power of the rescue that Jesus has brought about for us. We should look at this, and we, we realize we've been rescued out of darkness. We ask the question why wouldn't we obey Christ's command to go? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we now live? with boldness in light of eternity, not being controlled or consumed by the things of this world? Why wouldn't we live in light of eternity with the fact that there are billions out there with lost souls who do not know this hope? There are thousands in our own community who do not know this hope. Why wouldn't we live with boldness in light of the resurrection that sin, the death, and the devil have no control over us because Christ has overcome Why wouldn't we live with this kind of boldness? But here's the catch. This isn't just a why wouldn't we question, this is a warning. 1 John 2 15 through 17. along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's a warning. It's a warning. It's a warning that is grace from God. Say, if, this thing, if these things are not true of you, Do you know your Savior? John continues in, later on in his first letter, chapter 5, verses 1-5. through five, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it? that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. My question for us this morning is a hard one. Do we love the world more than we love God? Are we consumed by the world more than we've been consumed by God? Is that evident in our lack of love towards our brothers and sisters? Is that evident in our lack of keeping the clear commandments of God? Is that evident and our lack of fulfilling the great commission that Christ has given us. We should see the story of Mary as it's intended. It's a mirror for us to look on ourselves, to ask, Am I controlled by fear, my own pride, my own desires? Or am I controlled by the wonderful, powerful truth that Christ is risen? He has overcome Satan. He has overcome the world. He has overcome sin. Is that true in my life? Is that true in your life? And what you should see is if you're recognizing even right here in this moment that that's not true of your life, recognize that just as Jesus was rebuking Mary before she recognized He is now speaking the truth to your heart so that you might repent and believe and know the hope and joy of the Gospel. To know the freedom from sin as we recognize that Christ has paid the penalty for us. If these things are true and it's convicting you, submit yourself to Christ and repent. As John says in his letter in John verse John 1-9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us From all unrighteousness. That promise is there if you've not believed in it. But the promise, the power is here as well. Christians, brothers and sisters, Christ is risen. He is risen and He is making all things new by the power of His Word, speaking and calling out to us just as He called to Mary. He said, Mary called her by name and she saw. If He's calling you today, listen and obey. I pray that we would be a people no longer consumed by the things of this world. We will face sorrow and we will face hardship and God is there not to rebuke us for being sad, but to encourage us, to show us, look, you have an eternal joy awaiting you that will make all sorrows pass away. That will make all these things seem so minute in light of God's glory and His willingness to save us sinners when we didn't deserve it. And that is the balm that we need as we are suffering. That is the hope and the joy that we must hold on to For what will we get if we hold on to sorrow, if we hold on to bitterness, if we hold on to despair? We will get nothing but destruction. But Christ has come to make all things new. Christ has come to call us who are like Mary, lost, discouraged, despairing, showing us that we must see we can do nothing of our own accord. To accomplish salvation we must hear his voice and respond in faith and repentance and those who respond in faith those who believe they are characterized by people as people who will when told to go they go so let's repent of our failure to go and let's commit to go out into these streets, to our neighborhoods, around this county, wherever we are, and to proclaim the resurrecting power of Christ who has redeemed and has come to make a people of his own who we are graciously and thankfully apart. Let that be our testimony as a church, as a people. Let's not be characterized by frustration, by despair, by brokenness, Let's be characterized as a people who have been humbly and redeemed by the gracious work of God, who are confident that we serve a risen Savior. That's my prayer for all of us today. If you don't know the gospel, if you hear conviction this morning, repent and follow Christ. And my fellow brothers and sisters, let us also repent. Follow and obey the clear commands of our Savior. Let's pray.